Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond fireside chats. Hello and welcome back to Leave Our World a Better Place. My name is Kasia and today I'll be chatting to Isaac Tembe once again for the second part of his podcast on working with communities rather than for them. Isaac is Head of Methodology Monitoring and Evaluation for Africa Foundation. He has been responsible for adapting Africa Foundation's model to work in six different countries throughout Africa. Isaac will be telling us about the metrics that the foundation uses to measure the success of a project and explaining how luxury travel can play a role in community development. Isaac, in your view and also when working with the foundation, what are the specific criteria that have to be met in order for a project to be successful? The criteria that we insist on, well, first of all, the project must be community-led. We try and discourage as, as much as possible a project suggested by the donors, which often happens when, it, when the donors actually walk around and they see children walking long distances to school, they feel like, oh, I know somebody who can donate bicycles. While it comes from the good heart, we try and, and move the donors into spaces where their donation could actually make a lot more contribution and a lot more sustainable impact. Secondly, it must be a project that enjoys a broader support. We know that if that project actually enjoy that kind of maximum support, we can be sure that there will be a lot more buy-in, more responsibility entrusted on the community to actually take care of it. That becomes absolutely critical for us. It must also be a project that has a greater impact in the larger community. Sometimes it may be a project, for instance, if we take the Community Leaders Education Fund, which is our best scheme, that might be as just helping one student. But in essence, in essence, the reason why uh, it, the panel of interview is packed with community representatives, we believe that that student owes his or her success to the community. And therefore, if that student actually goes, uh, get the degree, go and work, they will always be indebted to the community rather than us uh, and, and perhaps the family only. So, so, so we look at um, how big the impact is going to be uh, when we assist this person. And lastly, it must be a project that is sustainable. If we spend the time and money investing in this project, is this project going to run long after we have handed it over? And if, the, if we can tick that box, we can then say, this is the, these are the criteria that we look into. But also, we know, we know for a fact that uh, there are projects in the community are, on their own are not able to, for instance, uh, do maintenance for the building. So if there's infrastructure project, we try and look at who are other collaborating partners that we could actually bring on board so that when we move out, we can actually make sure that they part and parcel of the post-project delivery maintenance scheme or processes. So we have governments, if we build a, a, a healthcare center, for instance, we will talk to the Department of Health to actually say, we are building this, the community needs this, is it really required? What role are you going to play as the department and you know, running it, uh, maintaining it? And therefore, we're then happy to say we can spend donor money on this project because we know that um, even when we turn it over, the project will continue. In fact, most of those projects have actually grown three, four, five times. You know, simply because we actually took care of all those consultation processes right at the beginning. Mm. 
And that is the the ultimate intention as well, isn't it? It's not Absolutely. Africa Foundation doesn't run the projects indefinitely. Absolutely. They are meant to be handed over and to be sustainable. They are community projects after all. They're not our projects. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, Isaac, Africa Foundation still enjoys a very, very close relationship with and beyond, and and it operates in in all the rural areas where and beyond has got lodges. Can you tell us a little bit about the role that and beyond's guests play? In this process, you know, how do they become aware of Africa Foundation projects? How do they get involved? You know, the, the, the model works perfectly well because of and beyond. Take and beyond out of the equation, you have a problem. The whole thing might wobble. Uh, it will succeed to a much lesser extent. And beyond play this critical part because of the guests, if I may put it that way. The guests actually play a very big and prominent role in the success of uh, Africa Foundation project delivery in the community. Uh, first of all, guests are more inclined to actually travel with a company that is involved in responsible tourism, to actually take care of the community, your carbon footprint, and so forth and so on. And therefore, when the guests actually come to and beyond lodges, they are already aware of this, and they would actually want to see what else beyond all the beauty in at the lodges that they enjoy what does the local community look like this becomes an opportunity for us to actually say well come let's let's show you what is actually taking place outside in the community that's part of the dna that makes this model and therefore we are able to show them projects that we have actually done and we can share the dreams and the views of the community and in some cases, the community actually speak for themselves because when we take them to clinics, to schools, to projects that we have worked with, they meet people there. And those people are then able to actually share with them their journey, where they've been, where they are, and where they want to go. And that triggers a, a particular interest in most guests to either want to participate immediately or alternatively give us a link from their network that can actually assist in us achieving a particular goal or a view or, or a dream that um, the community may have. And that link is for us a very, very important uh, link because then we are able then to pursue those links and that's how our fundraising become active. What we've seen is that guests will come to and beyond lodges for holidays, honeymoons and all of that. But once they've actually had a, a bit of an attachment with the community and the project outside, they're inclined to come back again because not only do they want to actually go and relax again, but now they've got an, an added uh, interest in that particular community because now they've got something that they've actually invested in. They want to see the development and they can talk, talk about to, uh, to their friends and the word spread out there. And therefore, our ability to raise more funds become even greater. And beyond guests plays a very critical role. And this role, even for those that do not actually end up contributing anything, but by knowing what we do, they will actually talk about it to their friends who may know somebody who may, who may want to participate. Isaac, as head of methodology for, for Africa Foundation, you work with projects in a number of countries throughout Africa, I think five or six countries. We've spoken about the methodology for Africa Foundation and how well-defined it is. How easy or how difficult is it to take that model and that methodology that was developed at Pinda and in South Africa and adapt it to the needs of various communities in those different countries? Um, it, it's really not a question of 
taking this concept or this model and explicating it as is. There has to be a particular degree of adaptation because not one community is the same. And therefore, there will be uniqueness in each community that we need to try and appreciate and then try and understand. But in the main, the heart of the methodology, which is about respect, the dignity, and making sure that the community lead and all those features, usually we, we like to keep them intact because where people are recognized, it doesn't matter, it could be in Kenya, it could be in Tanzania, it could be in Mozambique, Botswana, or Namibia. If you recognize people, you get the best out of them. And that for us become a key driver of the methodology. So there are features of the methodology that, that are never changed. But of course, we understand at the core of the implementation of the methodology are, are human beings. And therefore, our team members may not be adequately available to really make sure that a proper consultative work is done. We allow for that space as long as we respect the core features of the methodology, which is, as I say, about ensuring that it's, it's, we are aiming for empowerment of the community. We are not handing out things. We are respecting the dignity of the community and being transparent so that when we say we have raised 50,000 rand for this project, we can actually account not only to the donor, but also to the community, take them on board and say, this is how money was spent. We spent it together. You participated in hiring the builder. This is how much you needed. And this is how much you paid for the material. And together, uh, this is how much we spent and this is how much remains. Those features are very important for us because then not only people get a project, but they learn in the process uh, of how the project is together. So yes, there will be a, a certain degree of adaptation, looking at the various countries and the structures that govern the community in those areas. How strong are they? How sophisticated are they? How weak are they? And based on all of that, we will actually then be able to say, well, maybe we can bend A and bend B, but make sure that we don't bend this. Try and over time building them up so that they can become active participants because the ultimate goal of the model is to make sure that the community play a critical role and a very important role in the conservation space. So if we cut corners for the delivery of the project, but it's also cutting corners in uh, extending the message of conservation in the community. And we don't want to do that because if you do that, then we are missing the point. And the whole point is the growth of the community must actually be the growth of the support for conservation. And that cycle is always going to be, have to be respected and be very, very important. And if we miss that, no matter how much money we pour in the community, then we are, we are not working within what the model is actually aspiring to achieve. All part of a much bigger picture. The Absolutely. projects that you work on, you make a direct difference to the communities. But it's also part of a bigger picture about making a positive difference, not just to the communities, but also to conservation as a whole, to and beyond, and to their guests, and basically trying to leave the world a better absolutely. place. Absolutely. absolutely, That is absolutely correct. That is absolutely correct. Isaac, yes. in yes. what 26 years with Africa Foundation, there's so much that you must have seen or done. <laughs> yeah. And for everybody who works with Africa Foundation, everything they do is is so much about passion and 
I know everybody gets so involved in the project and, and with the people that they work with. Can you tell us yeah. what has been yeah. one of your personal highlights during this time? Yeah, I would start by saying there are many. But I think that if I look back and look at where we are today, we started at a point where everybody thought we were mavericks. You know, we didn't know what we were trying to do. And we, we thought we were smart in working with the community and actually just trying to pilot this concept. We had no support. We were criticized from many different quarters. And we worked tirelessly, not only to change the lives of the community, but to change the whole spectrum, the whole playing field of conservation community relationship. As you mentioned much earlier when we started, that it's now almost a common feature that all conservation-related tourism speak about community. They've actually come to realize that without community, conservation has no future. To see that, that metamorphosis, if I may use the word, is hugely satisfying because we kind of like uh, took a concept that was not only downtrodden, but was frowned upon. We worked tirelessly to actually make it such an attractive proposition for everybody that is now working in this space. If you want to look at the amount of visitors or the caliber of visitors that have actually come through and beyond to just see this whole movement in action is hugely satisfying. You know, you can actually talk about past presidents of different countries, celebrities that have actually come to our shores, going into communities and talking about this, to seeing Prince Charles at Pinda, sitting down with Prince Charles and, and engaging with them on what we're trying to do and him taking that kind of huge interest for me, is like a serious highlight of what we have actually achieved. If I stay with Pinda, for instance, when we were able to change the perception from that hostility where people actually just felt like um, they could throw every stone they could find on us when we appeared on those very first years, uh, to a moment where the community at Makasa and Ngobogazi could actually say, yes, we've got our land back, but you know what? use it, continue to use it. I mean, that for me is hugely satisfying because it actually means that they have, they have not only believed in what we are trying to tell them over those many years, but they've actually begun to lead the way because in that land deal was almost a pioneer again for most of the land claims that took place afterwards. You know, your Malamala, your other communities that are in, in KZN and so forth and so on actually came after the Pinda land deal. And it was used as an experiment, again, because of the relationship that we had been able to build with that community. And for me, that is hugely satisfying. I think for me, that those are like biggest highlights. Of course, I can talk about CLEF students that have actually gone on to graduate. You see a guy that had no hope, had no future, had did not know where to go. And suddenly you open up this window of opportunity with CLEF and that just flew away. And, and they are now holding much bigger positions that they never ever anticipated or never thought in their in their wildest dream they could actually it's unleashing potential of students and communities that would have otherwise be locked and forgotten in those tiny little rural villages so these are all the highlights that really makes me look back and say you know what we have made a big 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 difference and we continue to do so those are some really incredible achievements, Isaac. And 
I must admit, when we started our conversation, you started telling me about how the suspicions with which the community received you, about how they were so deeply suspicious that that Pinda wanted to take more of their land away. You know, now when you speak about the land claim and about how the land was returned to the communities, and yet they chose to have it under and beyond as part of Pinda to use it for conservation, that really is... It's an incredible Absolutely. achievement. Absolutely. And looking now, looking forwards now, Isaac, what are some of your goals for the future? I think if I look ahead, there are a number of, of areas that I think we are poised to achieve. Pre-COVID-19 and beyond, we're almost finalizing an engagement around how we scale up impact in communities, both in conservation, land management, and so forth and so on, but holding the community pillar. My excitement was as a result of the fact that we could actually triple what we have actually been able to do over the past 27 years in the community. And that for me, is a huge motivation to say we can actually make this even much bigger. That's one area that I'm still looking at. I know that COVID has actually had a huge, huge, huge financial dent in the whole space and the whole thinking uh, had to be scaled back because of the COVID uh, impact. I'm hopeful that post-COVID, we may be able to pick up as lower as it might be, but still push towards the same goal of really trying to broaden the slice so that uh, more and more communities can actually participate and reap some benefits. But more importantly, I think that as we continue to engage, there is a very strong, in, in fact, this one issue that Josh actually brought to the table, he was talking about conservation coalition, which really talks about beyond the borders or beyond the boundaries of our own game reserves. And that for me is hugely exciting because I think over the past 27 years or so, we've been able to craft this model and we've put it into good use. We have seen it work and we've seen the rewards of being reaped by everybody that has actually participated. Business, conservation, community. All of those people actually, and including the donors. The model has actually been hugely satisfying for the donors as well. But then the question becomes, if we're thinking long term and we think conservation, can we only define conservation by what is within the borders of the game reserve that we work with? Are we saying that if a rhino poach in a game reserve 300 kilometers away, that has nothing to do with us? I think not. Because when we talk 50 years, it's about what we're actually going to be leaving to our own kids, to the generation after generation. So if we can only limit our scope of conservation to what is within our boundary fence and not take care of conservation largely outside what is actually happening, I think that we would actually create a bigger a bigger problem for ourselves. And, and therefore, this conservation battle needs to be fought wherever it is. And I think that we have established very well-researched methodologies to help those communities far out there that we may not necessarily have particular relationship with within what we call identified communities that live alongside our game reserves. For me, that becomes the next challenge. How do we translate, how do we use our learnings that we've applied so well around the communities that we work with 
to assist other organizations or maybe to assist other communities that may still be knocking on the doors of their neighbors and not really getting the correct answer. And therefore, you may see the rate of poaching start increasing there to a point where if they were to poach a game reserve and finish that, where do we think they will be going to next? Obviously, if we don't fight there, we may become victims. For me, when we talk long term, it's not about what I'm able to preserve on my own, but it's what my neighbor is able to preserve and the other neighbor and the other neighbor and the other neighbor. Then we suddenly have a much bigger area which is under conservation that we all can share a particular kind of like same methodology, same, you know, modus operandi. And of course, as business and beyond does extremely well when it comes to competing. But I think that in the community space and the conservation space, there has to be a lot more collaboration so that we can push the frontiers of poaching, hunger, underprivileged, underdevelopment further and further away and make sure that we can translate conservation space into development opportunities for our communities. That, that for me, is where I'm hoping we can actually go to 50 years, long after we are all gone, but at least we would be able to hand over to our kids something, but not only something that, that works, but also a handbook that says this is the manual of how you get this right. Looking at the achievements and at where Africa Foundation has gone over the past decades, I have absolutely no doubt that might have been slowed down a little bit by COVID-19, but I have no doubt that we will get there yeah. and leave an absolutely yeah. amazing That's legacy. really what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for. That's really what, uh, that keep me motivated because I think that the, the buy-in from conservation authorities is huge. It's much, much bigger than it was. And it can only grow. And the international organizations that are coming into the space as well is very encouraging. You know, you can see that um, we are doing something right and uh, therefore the support is greater from the community, but also from from the conservation authorities and funders out there, you know, who are willing to really put their shoulder in the wheel to make sure that this whole thing works. It'll be a challenge, but I do see collaboration being very much the idea heading into the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. None of us will be able to, to, to do it alone. You know, I think that if we make a mistake of competing in the conservation community space, we, we will achieve, but we will retard our progress because that would be on this whole thing of working together. Even when, when we are hit by a pandemic such as this, if we work together, mm. we are much stronger and much more resilient to actually deal with those adversities when they arrive. Mm. Absolutely. It's a very important point and I think also a really, really great high point for us to end on. Isaac, thank you so much. It has been really, really inspirational listening to you today. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on and chat to me. You know, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to actually share just our experiences and uh, and hopefully as we continue to share this, more and more people will be inspired to actually try and do likewise wherever they may be. Yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you for listening to In Beyond Fireside Chats. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. If you have any comments or feedback, or would like to suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, drop us an email at firesidechats at endbeyond.com. We'd love to hear from you.